I want to thank you for being here, and um, I am excited about this series in Proverbs. I've heard a lot of responses about it in the sense that, um, you know, they're hearing things or seeing things in the Word of God that may be a little bit different than what they had seen before, and it's being challenged, uh, or it's being a, a challenge to them, and I'm really thankful for that. I want to encourage you, if you enjoy being part of a church that is built on the Word of God, then I want to encourage you to respond by getting into that Word throughout the week. We're trying to memorize Proverbs 1-7. Very, very easy. It's one other verse. We're just going to, we're going to hit 1-7 uh, this week uh, by way of encouraging you to memorize it. There's another one that we're memorizing as well. But I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to be in Proverbs throughout the week. Get yourselves ready for this sermon series. And if you've got your Bible with you, and I hope you do, if you can open those Bibles up to Proverbs chapter 15. That's going to be our text today, and I want to encourage you to be in there with me. This is your way to make sure that what I'm preaching, what I'm saying is right. Some of you, how many of you have a study Bible with you that has all your little cheat notes in it? Because I get every once in a while somebody coming up and saying, well, Pastor Tim, that's not what my study Bible said. And I hate to break it to them that the study Bible is likely wrong. Um, actually, I don't say that. That's a joke. You guys are not alive today. I'm trying to get you to wake up a little bit. Proverbs 15. All right, that's our text today. Proverbs 15. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17. Let me tell you about a 104-year-old woman. Now, I want you to try to even imagine living to that age. 104. Her name is Tamer. Lee Owens. And when she was asked how she lived for 104 years, now you got to listen to this, it's going to set the entire foundation for this message. Here's what she said It was laughter, the Lord, and the little things. Laughter, the Lord, and the little things that keep her going. She still finds enjoyment each day in talking with people, taking a walk, reading, the Bible, as she has done since childhood, here's what she said. I quote, I don't know how long God will let me stay here. I just thank the Lord for what he's given me already. Amen. Laughter, the Lord, and the little things. So here's my question for all of us. I want you to think through this, and I want you to be really, really honest. I want you to take your heart for a moment, and I want you to grab hold of it. If you can imagine taking your spiritual center, grabbing hold of it, because it's going to want to wiggle around a little bit. So you want to grab hold of it, like I did with my little ones, my children, when they were very young, and I really wanted them to get something that I was saying. I would reach down, and I would cup their, their chin, and I would say, look me in the eyes for a moment. You've got to hear this. I want you to do that with your heart when I ask you this question. Do you have a glad heart? Now just think through that in your own mind. Do you have a glad heart? Because not everybody does. Now you ready? You got to hear this. Wisdom, which means skillful living. It's a gift from God. And to enable us to live skillfully before Him, wisdom would offer us, it would offer us the ability to have hearts that continually enjoy a happy feast in life, regardless of our circumstances. Did you hear that? Do you have a glad heart? Well, God wants to give us wisdom. A 
And one of the functions of that wisdom is to fill our hearts with joy and rejoicing and gladness and laughter so that we live as if we're at a continual feast in life regardless of your circumstances. And is that even reasonable? Is that even reasonable to think that we can have a glad heart? Well, if so, how? And this entire message answers that very question. How do you have a glad heart? How do you have a glad heart, and what's it even going to look like? Well, the life of a person with a glad heart. I'm going to give you two points, and I'm going to unpack point number one. The, the life of a person with a glad heart. What's that person look like? Well, here we go. You ready? Everybody, verse 13. And get your Bibles open, either electronic or your paper Bibles. Let's get them open. Let's look together. Remember, I never put my main text on the screen. Why do I do that? Some of you get a little annoyed with me. I do it to force you to bring your Bibles. Get your Bibles. Make notes in your Bible. Well, marked up Bible will mark up your life. So here we go. Verse 13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. Now, some of you don't like this already. You're the Eeyores here. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. And just like it does all through Proverbs, the heart takes its important place. Again, confirming what Solomon has already taught us. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Let me tell you what that word means, keep. It means guard. If you've got, if you've got a wallet or a purse, and it's either in your pocket or your pocketbook, and you just cash your entire paycheck... All the money you've got that's for paying bills and discretionary spending, it's all right there in your wallet or it's in your pocketbook. Are you going to keep that wallet secure? Are you going to maybe put it in your front pocket? Are you going to keep that pocketbook zipped and not only over your shoulder but clutching it? Listen, when you've got something valuable, you guard it. So guard or keep your heart wide. Because everything flows from it. Listen, all of life flows from the heart. So Proverbs, Solomon says, you better keep it under guard. You better keep it close and watch over it. Why? Because the heart is the control center. Now listen, it's the command center. And it's the communication center. Everything that comes out of our mouths comes from our heart. Everything that we choose to do found its origin in our hearts. Everything that you think finds its beginning in the heart. So the thinking that you do, the choosing in life that you do, the, the speaking and, and the singing that you do, all of that comes from the heart. We're singing to the Lord. We're singing worship to the Lord. And I'm in the back today and I'm watching a lot of your hands go up. And I love Watching your hands go up. Why? Because you're going to be doing it in heaven. And I'm going to be doing it, doing that in heaven. Some of you are in heaven, I know, even with your totally glorified body, your hands are going to start to go up and you're going to like try to get it back down. It's just the way you are on earth. But you know what? Your hands are going to go up and you're going to fall on your faces before the Lord. And it's kind of nice to see us give a little bit of an evidence of that here on earth. But I'm watching hands go up and I'm hearing voices singing loudly and I'm thinking, you know what, I've got a lot of these words that we're singing are really coming from hearts that are really worshiping God and had a week, a whole week of really worshiping God. 
That's how important the, the heart is. A heart full of joy. And I want you to see this. A heart full of joy makes us exceedingly glad. Now look at the verse, verse 13. But, here's your door hinge, flip the coin. But a heart full of sorrow crushes the spirit. Now if you want a glad, you want a, if you want a cheerful face, then it's got to come from a glad heart. Otherwise, it's that plastic smile that disappears as, as soon as you're past the person. How are you doing today? Here comes the smile. They walk past and there goes the smile. Listen, if you've got a glad heart, you're going to have a cheerful face. There's an equal sign between the two of them. So Solomon is teaching us here, how can we have hearts of joy regardless of our circumstances or... In the spirit of Solomon's teaching, wisdom's going to teach us how to live skillfully, joyfully, in the best and the worst of times. So he's going to show us how to do that. So here we go. I'm going to give you four evidences from this passage of a glad heart. How do you know if you've got a glad heart? Well, there's evidences of it. Four evidences of a glad heart and the way to gain one. And you might be saying right now, you know what, Pastor Tim? You know, honestly... I don't have a glad heart. I'm really, I'm really very influenced by my circumstances. And when things are going really well, I feel really happy. And when things are not going very well, I get really discouraged and depressed and angry. Well, you need wisdom. And you need what Solomon's going to teach you. He's going to teach us what the evidences of a glad heart are and the way to gain one. Here we go. Number one, evidences of a glad heart. A glad heart is evident to everyone around you. Life seems kind of simple. I'm hoping it gets a little better as we go, right? A glad heart is evident to everyone, everyone around you. It's written on your face. Look what it says. It makes a cheerful face. Now, I wish I could tell you, well, this is just a metaphor. It's not really... Seriously thinking about a cheerful face, but I can't tell you that. He really is talking about a cheerful face. Now, when you have a glad heart, it translates to your smile. It goes even deeper, you're going to see in a minute. Heart full of joy. A glad heart. By the way, a glad heart's a rejoicing heart. A glad heart full of rejoicing will spring forth a face. Where the eyes are bright and the smile is there. The gladness and the joy reaches the smile. Now we've got two precious people in our church who have Down syndrome. And you know what? I've all, I don't think I've ever, in all the years for one of them, in all the months for the other that I've known them, I don't think I've ever seen them in a bad mood. I can't tell you one time that they did not come up to me. The littlest one comes up and wants to give me a hug all the time. And the older one constantly comes up and says, Pastor Tim, can I have my hug? And she's smiling all the time. Their smiles spread to my face. Did you hear that? Gladness is communicable. Now you know the mission. Now you know the goal of wisdom to make us 
have glad hearts. It communicates. It spreads. It goes to another person. A glad heart produces a cheerful face. And it bears witness to the joy of the Lord. Listen, I want you to be absolutely dour and glum and depressive for five months. And I want you to share your faith in Christ all five of those months. And I want you to see if anybody wants what you're telling them. They don't. They don't want your message when you don't have joy. They won't listen to it. Well, listen, if that's what Christ came to give and, and you're really moody and you're really dour and you're kind of bleak in life. And if that's what Jesus came to give, I don't want that. The world's got stuff better than that. It is unhealthy for a Christian whose heart is full of sorrow to act like everything is all right, right? I mean, we're not looking at being inauthentic here. We're not saying, well, listen, you've got to have a smile on your face even if your life is falling apart. That's not what Solomon's preaching. That's not what he's teaching. He wants you to be true to your heart. He's saying, well, listen, be true to your heart, but let me tell you how wisdom can give you a glad heart so that it can spring to your face so that your witness goes strongly out to people. They see the joy of Christ radiating in your life. Listen, if you've ever suffered depression, I have. Or if you've known someone who has, you understand what Proverbs says in chapter 17. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Listen, you can be bone dry in your heart. That's a metaphor. Bone dry. Bones that are dried up. It's a metaphor for a heart that's dried up. There's no life. There's no wateriness. There's no joy. There's no hope. There's nothing. It's dead. And that's what, that's what sometimes people can have. They can have such sorrow that it dries up their bones. David was on his way to that. When he was laying on his bed after his sin with Bathsheba, he was not repenting of it. He was not confessing it. And it was drying his bones. His bones were aching. And they were hurting. Listen, sometimes that's not arthritis. Sometimes what that is is sin. And it's doing what it's supposed to do so that you will turn to the Lord in repentance. So that I would do that. Now, there's a proven connection between joy and laughter, now listen, and healing. And there's a proven connection between sorrow or despair or depression and sickness. Because our hearts affect our bodies. A joy-filled, glad heart will be evident to others and they will witness to the joy of your salvation. But there's a second evidence. Remember, Solomon's teaching us, what he's teaching us is there, there are four evidences of a glad heart. One, that people are going to see it all around you. The second one is a glad heart endures in any circumstance. It, it endures in any circumstance. You know, this life is full of suffering. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know suffering. And how we endure suffering depends on the state of our hearts, the quality of our hearts. Sometimes a very, very long shadow of suffering can cast over the path of a person. I know people who have been walking in suffering for years and years and years. 
And whether it's the grind of physical illness, maybe that suffering is physical or continually strained children. I mean, there are sometimes some families in our church, and all I know to say to them, all I know to say to them is, I hope God will bring an end to this trial. Because it seems like your children just will not come back to the Lord. And I pray with them and I give them hope. And sometimes suffering is a, being in a difficult marriage or, or suffering sometimes just seems to be here to stay in our lives. It doesn't seem that we want to go. And to hear a message from me that says you've got to have a smile on your face, it can kind of rub you the wrong way, right? Like Proverbs 25, 20, singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar on a wound. It just doesn't seem to feel very good to hear this. And friends, we are to be real. We are to be authentic, not plastic and fake. But listen to this, ready? Here's what the Bible calls you and I too. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Be with a glad heart, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we hear that from James. And James is saying, listen, don't let circumstances dictate your gladness. Let gladness endure through your circumstances. And then we get Proverbs saying this in verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Now think through that because this is sort of a little bit like, uh, in a language that's a little bit odd to us. Let me read it again. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. That word afflicted, now this is why I like you having your Bibles, because if I were you, and you've got a pen or a pencil, I would underline afflicted, or in your translation, the word that is referring to that, and I would tell you, I would have you rewrite it. Because what it means is not, it's not a person going through difficulty if the afflicted refers to a troubled and downcast spirit. You've got to get this. It's a troubled and downcast spirit who sees anything negative as proof that they've got a miserable life. See, the afflicted are those who are inwardly troubled. They're inwardly troubled, not those who have rashes and boils and cancers and Parts of their body not working and job losses and going to lose their home and can't pay their electric. All of that are difficult circumstances. They all are. But the afflicted are those who've got a heart that sees everything they go through as being proof that they've got a miserably negative life. That's the afflicted. It's a perspective. It's a disposition. It is the Eeyore that's got a cloud following them, and everything is dour, and everything is bleak in their perspective. You see, the one whose heart is full of joy is not someone who's got a silver spoon in their mouth and a primrose path to walk in life. It's the person who's not going to allow circumstances to rob him or her of joy. That's, that's the person that wisdom wants to come in and change. See, that's the glad of heart. You know, every once in a while you get to meet these people. 
And they tell you what's going on in their lives, and you're amazed, and you're wondering, why aren't you angry? Why aren't you depressed? Why aren't you full of despair? And they, and they begin to encourage you when you ought to be the one encouraging them. See, they've got a glad heart. Wisdom has done its job. It is with our hearts that we form our perspectives. Command, control, communication center. And the perspective is our outlook on life. And if our hearts are downcast, and if our hearts are negative, and by the way, listen, you better hear this, you're not born with a negative heart, you're born with a sinful heart. And Christian brother and sister, you're not reborn with a negative heart, you're reborn with a heart that's got the capacity for joy. So if you've got a negative and if you've got a downcast heart, then you're going to complain and you're going to see life as unfair and unenjoyable. And if your heart is full of rejoicing and wisdom is doing its job, then you're going to see life. We're going to see life as under the control of the God who loves us. Then it's going to provide what Proverbs says, the joy of a continual feast. Look at that word cheerful. Let's kind of dig down a little bit. Let me kind of, let me kind of give you a below the waterline glimpse at the Hebrew language. Look what it says in verse 15 as well again. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. Now look up at verse, I'm sorry, verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of hearts. Look at verse 13. A glad heart gives a cheerful face. Those two words are different. Cheerful of 13 is not cheerful in verse 15. They're totally different Hebrew words. You want to know what cheerful in verse 15 means? This is going to, I think, be so encouraging to you. Well, if you want to know what it means, you've got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Are you ready? God created the heavens and the earth. He looked on it and listened. He pronounced it. He said, it is good. That word good is this word cheerful. See, a cheerful heart, now here it is in verse 15 again, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of hearts has a continual feast. For the cheerful of heart, listen, are those who have a recreated heart. That's been pronounced good by God. A heart changed by God himself. The heart that Ezekiel said that God would give us. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. The cheerful of hearts are the recreated hearts. Those who have been to the cross of Calvary. And have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that very moment. I have taken your sin and I have put it on me. And I have taken my righteousness and I have put it on you. And I am going to give you a new heart. And that new heart is going to allow the Spirit of God to come and dwell inside there. And begin to pulse new desires to you. And give you a new and brand awesomely brand new way of living. It's a new disposition. A disposition that starts to hate sin and love what is right. Now listen, a new recreated heart that begins to pump joy and peace and hope through your spiritual veins. This is what it means to have a cheerful, or to be cheerful of heart and have a continual feast. You've got a recreated 
heart that God has said is good. See, the cheerful of heart sees life as under the control of God, as purposeful for our good. Listen, whatever circumstance you're in, and for some of you, you're in some pretty hard ones. And right now, for some of us, we're kind of coasting. Some of you are going uphill. Listen, whether you're coasting, whether you're uphill, whether you're in a moment of peace, you're in a moment of affliction, listen, that that circumstance you are in has been decreed by our sovereign God himself. And he is using it to create a steadfast faith in his children. And that cheerful of heart knows that. They see all of life under the control of God, all purposeful for our good. And that disposition creates the kind of joy that an Israelite had in one of their feasts. Listen, if you were a Jew in the Old Testament, the most joyful moments, other than birth of a baby, were the feasts of Israel. See, the recreated heart of a Christian should produce the joy and peace of a feast day. Solomon says there's a third evidence. Here we go. One of the evidences of a glad heart that gives you a cheerful face. First one is going to be evident. It's going to be obvious to all. The first one, the second one is going to be that it endures in any circumstance. The third one, a glad heart is learned contentment. It's going to be content. I mean, one of the most impactful quotes I've ever read was in a letter from the missionary Hudson Taylor who wrote to his wife, he was over in China, and he wrote back to his wife and he said this quote, I've I've memorized it because it's impacted my life so greatly. We have 25 cents in all the promises of God. Can you memorize that? Especially when you don't know how things are going to get fixed in your homes. You don't know where the food's going to come from. You don't know how to get that car out of the shop and pay for it. You don't even know how to get a car because yours is dead. Listen, you've got 25 cents in all the promises of God. If you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in Him, then, then God is your Father. And that Father who is from heaven will not give you a stone when you are asking for bread. And will not give you a serpent when you are asking for fish. He knows exactly what you need and he will provide it all when you need it. So look at verse 16 and see the evidence of a glad heart. Better is a little, but we're Americans. It's better with a lot. Right? How many of you, and don't raise your hand because I probably would really be upset. How many of you play the lottery? I had somebody last week holding up his lottery tickets in church thinking how cool that was. I said, are you kidding? Why? Why? Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. And when the heart is consumed with knowing and loving God, there is a fullness And there's a satisfaction that doesn't hunger for lesser things. Listen, when you are full, when you are full from a meal, then that tempting morsel doesn't hold its temptation anymore. If you're hungry for the things of the world, it's because you're not full and satisfied with the things of God. Discontent is strengthened 
when your when your heart begins to be consumed with the world's good. And by the way, it's just like eating Chinese food. Come on, you know, you get full really quickly and then you're hungry again an hour later. That's the world. That's what the world does. A discontented person looks at the gifts that God has given and says, not enough. Look at what it says in Proverbs 30. The leech, the leech has two daughters. Give and give. Listen, there's never enough. A discontented person has a heart that says, God, you've got to give me more. I'm not satisfied. And it was discontentment that moved Eve. To eat the fruit and betray God. It was discontentment that moved Cain to murder his brother Abel. It was discontent that weaves its way through our anger. And our envy and our jealousy. And our coveting and our selfish ambition. Our critical tongues and our complaining spirit. All of that is discontent. I mean, God was Benjamin Franklin even knew that contentment makes a poor man rich. Discontent makes a rich man poor. Listen, discontent finds its antidote in the fear of the Lord. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord, verse 16, than great treasure and trouble with it. And what is the fear of the Lord? It's that mixture. Listen, if you take one part awe and another part adoration and you drop it and you mix them right into your, your heart, your spiritual center, your command, your communication, and your, your control center, and you mix these two right in there and you jostle it up. Listen, that's what produces the fear of the Lord. It's being in awe of God, adoring God, that translates into, I'm going to drop down on my face and serve Him the rest of my life. And I don't want to hold anything back anymore. That's the fear of the Lord. It's worship. And content, a contentment fills the hearts of those who are satisfied with God. Discontentment, it slips in through the cracks of a distrusting heart. Here's what it says. God doesn't know what I really need to make me happy. I know better than he does what I really need to be joyful. I mean, just think of the word content and add the prefix dis. That's what it means to be discontent. This is a negative or a reversal. The contents, the contents of our lives are simply considered to be in the negative. They're not enough. Lord, I'm looking over all the contents I've got in my life, my looks, my, my brains, my skills, my abilities, my cars, my house, my clothes, and it's not enough, God. I'm in the negative. You've got to give me more for me to be in the positive, more for me to be content. Friends, discontentment is a cancer of our souls and it eats away the joy that could be ours. And the cancer's treatment is the fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, the fear of our covenantal, faithful, personally loving, merciful God. And Habakkuk, that strange book in the Old Testament, Habakkuk figured it out. Look what he says. 
Though the fig tree should not blossom, he's in the negative. Discontent, right? His contents are in the negative. The tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. It's a synonym. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will have a glad Heart that will be okay whenever my circumstance is filled with contentment. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. See, to fear God is ultimately to rejoice in the Lord, to trust Him so deeply that your heart is filled by Him. And it produces an incredible mixture, listen, of both peace and joy. To the evidence of a glad heart is a heart that is content regardless of how much you have and how little you have. What you have in life doesn't affect your gladness, your rejoicing in your heart. Why? Because you've learned the fear of the Lord. You've learned to worship God. You've learned to mix awe and adoration into a force so powerful that you don't even care about the world. You are filled in your soul with God and the goodness that He is, and you don't even hunger for the world's goods. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out. Jim Finari's mom died this last week. And actually we were praying that the Lord would take her because she was suffering so terribly. But eight kids, Jim's the oldest, be praying for the Finaris if you would. Eight kids. And when she died, Denise and I, we went to the calling, the viewing, and there were so many people. We were we walking to the home of a very large funeral parlor and we walked into the, the doors and basically hit the line right there. We're probably there for at least an hour. There on the casket was a Fifth Avenue bar. Apparently that was her favorite candy bar. We told Jim, Jim was the first in line, the oldest down. That's how they do the receiving lines. And we said, Jim, there's a Fifth Avenue bar in your mom's casket. Why? She goes, he goes, Really? I didn't even know that was there. I am starving. I'm going to go eat that. Thing. I said, you can't eat that. It's like sacrilegious. I guarantee you, somebody ate that thing. I'm pretty sure of it. You don't take anything out because you didn't bring anything in. And your body came from dust and is going to return to dust. So godliness with contentment, friends, it is great, great Gain, And if there is something we need for our true happiness, listen, God will supply it. Do you believe that? Yes. If you needed something to be able to rejoice in your life, God will give it. But if you don't have it, you don't need it. And he's saying, I've got better riches. And I've got something better in store for you. Solomon, teaching his son. This is a parent discipling his children. What makes a person happy cannot be found outside the person in the things of the world. It's from inside a heart that fears and worships and adores God. Look at the text. It's great, great treasure. And it doesn't bring any trouble with it. 
I mean, so many people want to get rich thinking the money is the root of all sorts of happiness, but money cannot make you happy. It cannot fill your heart with joy. It cannot give you gladness that comes to your face. When, when instant riches are gained, almost always ruin and despair follows. The only treatment is the fear of the Lord. And we're going to learn how in a minute. Look at the fourth and final evidence. The fourth one is this. The glad heart will enjoy a life of love and peace. Better, verse 17, is a dinner of herbs where love is, where love is than a fattened ox with hatred and hatred with it. Listen, a fattened ox was, you probably want to know this, it was a, it was an animal that was pulled out of the herd, out of the herd. Now I want you to hear this, ready? It was an animal pulled out of the herd. It only had one reason, one purpose. It was being stall fed. It was being it was being given the best food because it was destined for the platter on their table. A fattened ox was an ox that's going to be eaten in a celebration meal. Even the wealthy rarely ate meat. Do you remember Luke 15, the prodigal son? The father said when the son came back, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. The fattened animal was always for a celebration moment. It was a luxury. And what the world cannot provide, though we clamor after it, is peace. The world cannot provide it. You know, in biblical days, there really wasn't a middle class. I know that sounds strange to us. There were the wealthy and there were the poor. There really weren't people in between. And the poor often, or very, I'm sorry, the poor rarely ate meat, almost always subsisting on vegetables, grains, and sometimes a little bit of fruit. So you've got this poor meal and you've got this wealthy meal. Better is a dinner of herbs, the dinner of the poor, where there is love than a fattened ox, dinner for the wealthy, with hatred in it. I mean, what good would the sumptuous feast be, Solomon is teaching his son? What good is it to have all of this wealth if you don't have love and peace with it? See, these are the true riches in life. Solomon's saying, son, listen, all this stuff that we've got in our family, all this, this huge palace, which is bigger than the temple of God, we've got all of these animals and all of these herds and all of this gold and silver, all this stuff, listen, son, I'm telling you, it will not make you happy. It cannot fill your heart with rejoicing. Let me tell you what will. What will give you joy and gladness in your heart is going to make it to your face so that everybody can see and want to worship your God is love and peace. That's it. See, when that, re when that recreated heart is filled with love and peace, the people around you are going to say, I want that. When you get your BMWs and your Mercedes, all they're going to say is, I want that. They're going to be jealous. But they're going to want and clamor after love and peace. And you're going to be able to say it's only found in one market. It's found in the market of Jesus Christ. See, Solomon is teaching those who lack contentment. Worship and trust 
that God will give you all you need. So stop pursuing the world's goods and pursue hard after love and peace. But how do you have this? I've given you four evidences of a glad heart. How do you get it? How do you get that? And let's say you already got your recreated heart. You've already been to the cross of Calvary. He's already saved you. And yet you still don't have that glad heart. You're still up and down according to circumstances. You're still struggling with contentment. You don't have a lot of love and peace in your life. How do you get this heart full of rejoicing that's going to make it to your mouth, make it to your eyes, so that people all around you will see the glory of Jesus? Here's how you do it. You got to go back to verse 14. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. But the mouths of fools feed on folly. Now you may not realize it, but that's your answer. And the danger for some of us in hearing this is to think, well, that's it. This is the key to a glad heart. This is too simple. But God's ways are not complicated. I don't know if anybody ever told you that it's very complicated and complex to live this Christian life. Listen, they're lying to you. They don't know the truth. It's not complicated. It is simple. God's not trying to hide things from you and only give it to the enlightened intellectuals. This is right on the very bottom branches of the tree and it's going to pluck easily into your hands. The one with understanding, look what it says. The one with, quote, understanding is the one whose eyes are continuously being opened by God. They're seeing new things. They're seeing new wonders of God. They're in the Word of God and all of a sudden it's coming alive. And they're seeing God as He really is and as He's revealing Himself to be through His Word. And all of a sudden their heart begins to race and their, their mind begins to dwell on that. Their hands and their feet can't wait to live it and their mouths can't wait to speak it and to share it to other people. A person with understanding is a person whose eyes are continuously being opened by God through His Word. Amen. And it's amazing. Give instruction to a wise man, Proverbs 9, 9, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Listen to wise, increase in learning. If you're wise, then you're a learner. If you're not a learner, and you're happy with what you learned 10 years ago, the Bible would call you not wise, but a fool. If you're going to be wise, you hunger after more understanding. And as we perceive and understand more and more of God's greatness, our desire to know God grows. And listen, you've got to know something about the word knowledge. Back in verse 14, can you look at it for a moment? The heart of him who has understanding, whose eyes are continually being opened to God through his word, seeks knowledge. Not information. That word doesn't mean information. It means the ability to distinguish, to understand a matter. It means sanctified common sense. Listen, the one whose eyes are continually being opened by God through his word will pursue him and they will seek knowledge, sanctified common sense. They will want to hunger to know God more so that they can love him more deeply. Repeatedly, the Bible equates knowledge with relationship. Okay, I want you to hear that. Knowledge is equated with relationship. 
So that as we know God more clearly, we love Him more dearly. And if you want a glad heart, and this is the key, if you want a glad heart that pumps joy and peace and contentment regardless of your circumstances, then you've got to seek that knowledge and you've got to pursue God with abandon. Monday is our 24th wedding anniversary. Pretty amazing, the grace of God. We've had hard times, we've had great times. But 25 years ago, before I married Denise, 25 years ago, when I became serious about pursuing who would be my wife soon, listen, I wanted to know everything about her. I took her out on a date so that I could get to know her. I wanted to ask her questions. I wanted to know what she loved and what she didn't love so that I could pursue her more and know her better and love her more dearly. That we still go out on dates. We usually go out on dates every Thursday evening. And on this past Thursday, we spent the entire time just asking questions of each other, trying to find out things we still don't know about each other. And some of those questions were fun, and some of them were serious. Listen, you never stop growing in your knowledge of each other in marriage. It only deepens the love. And if our hearts are to be filled with gladness and joy that reaches your eyes, then you've got to seek God by learning more of Him through your work, through His Word. This is what Jeremiah said. Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. David wrote this. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice my heart. Listen, if you want joy in your heart, it's going to come through the Word of God. And when you seek the Word of God, you're going to know God more. And when you know God more, it's going to increase your love for God. And when your love for God is increased, your will is changed, your mind is changed, your emotions are changed. And all of a sudden, you can't give anything. You can't keep anything back from God. You want Him to have it all. But flip the coin, verse 14. Flip the coin, and look what it says. But the mouths of fools feed on folly. Get that coin in your mind. Every time you read through Proverbs and you see the word but, you just flip the coin. It's what it looks like. Here's its opposite. Here's its contrast. But the, read it again. But the mouths of fools feed on folly. That word feed is the word for cow grazing. Cows grazing in a field. They graze on folly. Fools graze on folly. Folly is the word that is for a fool who rejects and rebels against God. Rejects God's word and rebels God's love against God's love. See, fools reject God. They don't desire to know who He is. They don't care what pleases God, what displeases Him. They will not satisfy themselves from God's table. They're not content in what He gives. You know, the world has its advertising campaigns. And it sends them to your heart. Every time you're watching TV, listening to the radio, watching a movie, reading your magazines, you get in the checkout lines. Listen, those are nothing but the world advertising what it lays on its table. And it begins to whisper into your mind, you deserve this new car 
And we've got creditors who go by another name in the Bible called jailers to help you get it. Or it says, we can help you get the house of your dreams and all your friends are going to be jealous. They're going to wish that they had that house. Or it whispers, you know what, go ahead and indulge in that illicit pleasure. There's nothing wrong with it if you don't get caught. You want to see what the table looks like that the world lays? Look at chapter 9. Can you flip back a few chapters? Look at verse 16. The world invites us. And it says, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here and he to him who lacks sense. She says, this is a woman folly, stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Listen, you want to know where the world's inviting his friends? Listen, yes. This may be the second or third most important thing I'm going to tell you. Where's the world inviting you? The world's inviting us to a banquet in the grave. It's got a table laid, but it leads to death, to the grave, Sheol. Yet the wise have before them the key to a heart of joy and peace and love. So I'm going to ask you again as we close. Do you have a glad heart that is evident on your face? Wisdom wants to give you this. A glad heart that is consistent despite the circumstances in your life. A glad heart that is full of contentment at what God has chosen to provide. A glad heart that is full of love and peace. And if you don't have that glad heart, then Christian, listen, wisdom can give it to you. But you've got to pursue God. You've got to know God through His Word. And as you know God through His Word, you're going to love God more deeply. And when you love God more deeply, you're going to give more of your life to Him. And when you give more of your life to Him, your heart is going to be filled with love and peace. And it's going to spread to your mouth and your witness and your testimony. <coughs> Listen, if you don't have a glad heart, here's where you start. You ready? Third most important thing I'm going to tell you. First was wisdom can give you a glad heart. Secondly, the world's inviting us to a banquet in the grave. Ready? Here's the third one. And I'm almost done. If you don't have a glad heart, here's where you start. You repent. You push yourself away from the table of the world. And you admit to God and you confess, I've been filling my soul with the world's junk. And I'm so full, I don't even want you, God. I'm not eating that grave food anymore. I want to fill my soul with God so that I don't even hunger for the world's junk. And I will start in your word. So let the word of God fill your recreated heart, Christian, with joy, love, and peace. And listen, enjoy your feast. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that those of us who lack wisdom, and I think probably all of us do, Lord, I know I do. And I thank you, Father, that you...